0: the bowery boys episode 77 whatever happened to freedom land hey it's the bowery boys hey the bowery boys is brought to you by eurocheapo.com eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in europe Now with hotels in New York City, on the web at eurocheapo.com. Hi there, welcome to the Bowery Boys. This is Greg doing a solo episode this week with a long-gone but very nostalgic place that I imagine that a few native New Yorkers who are listeners of this show probably still remember. Once upon a time, 1960 to be exact, there was a strange and kooky amusement park that sprang up on the eastern shores of the Bronx. Freedomland USA, as it was called, is a blip on the map of New York City history It was open for only five years and then was promptly ripped down shortly thereafter. However, this failed little park has a great story attached, featuring a Walt Disney reject and a host of cheesy and kind of outrageous rides and attractions attached to it, all with various themes on American history and various regions of the United States. And when this park was demolished in the late 1960s, it was replaced by something that, in many ways, was even a little bit more unusual, at the time, the world's largest housing development, Co-op City. So in this podcast, we'll be visiting the Civil War, the San Francisco Earthquake, we'll be riding with the Pony Express, and jetting off into the future on the Blastoff Bunker in Satellite City. All of that, of course, right here in the Bronx in Freedomland, USA. The most exciting event in the history of entertainment, Freedomland, World's largest Entertainment Center, open Sunday, June. The story of America comes to life in 205 Funtil Lakers. See and experience all the excitement of an Indian raid on a bird trapper's fence. Chicago in the 1870s, where you'll see the Chicago Fire. The filling saga of the Pony Express. 35 exciting rides at Freedom Land for all ages, such as stagecoaches, antique automobiles, stern wheelers, and spaceships. Restaurant and snack facilities for every taste and pocketbook. Freedomland in the Bronx, bordered by the Hutchinson River Parkway and the New England Freeway. Parking for ten thousand cars. Thirty minutes from Times Square by the IRT subways. Admission fifty cents to one dollar. Visit Freedomland, the thrill as big as America itself. Opening Sunday, June nineteenth. Freedomland USA was in the neighborhood of Baychester in the northeastern area of the Bronx along the Hutchinson River. This is actually kind of an unusual area because although it's mostly residential, it happens to also be near some of the most natural elements of New York City, it's just a short distance from Pelham Bay Park, which is the largest park in New York, five times the size of Central Park, believe it or not, and it's close to the Throgsneck Neck Bridge where the East River empties out into the Long Island Sound. It's also on the outskirts of the city, basically just a short drive and boom, you're out of New York City proper and into Westchester. On the surface, Bechester may not be your first choice to plop down an expensively produced amusement park, but this area of the Bronx has something else going for it. It's overcome with many different interconnecting highways that come through here, most of them, of course, devised by the all-powerful Parks Commissioner Robert Moses. Now, Robert has nothing to do with Freedomland directly, but he will pop up at the end of this story, and you could even say he indirectly helped hasten the demise of Freedomland. Also, keep in mind this story takes place in 1960 when everybody thought the future was behind the wheel of a gas guzzler back then. The theme of the 205-acre Freedom Land was America, or more exactly, American history. It was a park, or a, quote, family entertainment center, unquote, loosely shaped like a map of the United States. Um, Alaska and Hawaii were only a year old in 1960, so I'm assuming they just didn't count those yet. If you think this place sounds like it could only have come from the mind of Walt Disney, you're partially right. Our story starts with a man whose name, Cornelius Vanderbilt Wood, shared as it is with a railroad mogul, makes him sound a little bit like a New Yorker, but he's not. Instead, he's actually from Texas, and Wood, we'll find out, is actually the black sheep of the Walt Disney family. But this wasn't always so. He was an aerospace engineer, and Wood was hired by Disney to build a brand new theme park in Anaheim, California, that would feature the creations of all Disney's cartoons and films up until that time. Wood and his company quickly located a grove of orange trees to clear away, and by 1955, upspring Disney's first theme park, Disneyland, really the defining theme park, for which, of course, all others would be measured. Yet something very unexpected and weird and a little hazy happens right here. Sometime in late 1955, Walt and Cornelius, who had actually been made the vice president of operations of Disneyland, had some kind of falling out. And despite helping create the park that would help define his empire, Disney fired Wood in 1956. Nobody really knows for sure, but I'll tell you, if you dig into this a little bit, there's a lot of really wacky conjectures out there. One book claims that Wood was embezzling money from Disney. Another says that Wood had actually chosen the location of Disneyland along psychic, quote, geophysical ley lines, essentially beacons to UFOs and extraterrestrials. So those are two options, though I'm thinking most likely it was the fact that Wood would publicly take credit for a lot of the successes of Disneyland at this time, and maybe Disney just wasn't fond of hearing that. Regardless, let's just say that by 1956... Wood decided to go full blast sprinkling 1950s American states with spectacular theme parks. One of his projects is still around today, the place we used to call Magic Mountain, which was built in 1957 in Golden, Colorado, and is currently known under the sort of less fabulous name of Heritage Square today, but it is still open. His first foray on the East Coast was an adventure park called Pleasure Island up in Wakefield, Massachusetts, some of you might remember that as well, featuring such warmly-remembered attractions as the Moby Dick Ride and Monkey Island. For his third park, would turn his attentions to New York City. To build a park here, though, he had to get the attentions of a wealthy developer, which of course he found in William Zeckendorf, one of the most powerful real estate developers at this time. He was the owner of the Chrysler building and at one time had planned to build a rival to Rockefeller Center. If you want to know more about Zeckendorf, go back and listen to our United Nations podcast. We have a little bit about him in there. In 1959, the project between Zeckendorf and Wood was announced at an estimated budget of $16 million. In fact, it would end up at four times that amount, at $65 million. Freedomland opened its doors on June 19, 1960, as the, quote, world's largest outdoor entertainment center, was the claim, and Mayor Robert Wagner officially declared the day Freedomland Day. Also on hand was Ed Sullivan to film a little bit of his show here at Freedom Man, so this was a very big deal. What greeted the throngs of people that arrived on opening day, gathering around the gates of this American-shaped park, were different areas that were based on different regions in the country, or, well, you know, kind of. For instance, all of New England was lumped under one title, quote, little old New York, where you could drive a horseless carriage along a rail or just walk down the streets and stop at ice cream parlors and the poppity pop popcorn carts, you know, just like old New York. I don't believe they had a five-points ride. I doubt they were really going for authenticity here. But there were reenactments of suffragette rallies and Tammany Hall political rallies, and you had costume players walking the street. And once or twice a day, you'd actually see a real-life staged bank robbery. Over in the area called Old Chicago, believe it or not, you could see a daily reenactment of the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, in which firemen actors would actually pull volunteers from the audience to help them put out the blaze, or you could go visit on Authentic Indian Village where you could sit cross-legged and watch actors make beaded crafts in an area devoted to the Great Plains. Yes, they had a whole section of the park devoted to the Great Plains. One could observe the goings-on of a fake fort, a wagon train, and regularly scheduled gunfights between cowboys and Indians. You could also visit the original Elsie the Cow, you know, best known as the mascot for Borden Cheese. There was actually a, a real cow named Elsie, and for a short time, she could be found here at Freedomland with her calves in something disturbingly named Borden's Barn Bordois, where you could see Elsie, that's right, in her human bedroom. San Francisco had an entire section featuring an earthquake ride, a really politically incorrect Chinatown, and something called the Northwest Fur Trappers Ride. The old Southwest featured Casa Loco, Quote, where the laws of gravity are repealed. Unquote. In New Orleans, you could try out a tornado adventure, a zippy indoor ride where you were whisked around dodging animals and houses because there's nothing more fun than being trapped in a tornado. And after that, you could, of course, simply relax along the path of a Civil War battlefield. And finally, for some reason, the entire South is unusually transformed into a futuristic village called Satellite City featuring a moving sidewalk, which probably wouldn't be that exciting if you've been to an airport recently, and the Blastoff Bunker, a representation of the console room at Cape Canaveral. Also in this area was a pavilion called the Moon Bowl, where guests were greeted with live performers by big names, actually. Like uh, Brenda Lee, the Everly Brothers were there, Ricky Nelson. Well, and basically, any and all wholesome good pop music acts of the early 60s. I'm sure the Jonas Brothers would perform there if we had Freedomland today. Okay, so I, I know I'm making this sound like a little hammy, but... It was, a little, um, but for a small moment, it was it was also very popular, 60,000 people, in fact, on opening day. Keep in mind, the only real place in New York City really liked this was down in Coney Island, but in the 60s, that neighborhood was actually a lot more known for crime than frivolity, so why not come here? And perhaps Freedomland should have been more popular, given that it was this huge production and it was brand new. But unfortunately, it was also heavily racked with lots of misfortunes here. Many parts of the park, for instance, like Satellite City, weren't even opened on the first day or even for the first few weeks. And many of Freedomland's attractions that actually were completed proved to be kind of bitterly ironic. For instance, the park that, of course, featured the reenactment of A Great Fire actually had a fire that destroyed six buildings before the park even opened on august 28 1960 you could witness that fake bank robbery and then of course you could just walk over a few blocks and then catch a real one Four mass bandits who actually made off with $28,000 and then, get this, escaped on a boat. And then one week after Freedomland opened, a stagecoach overturned, injuring 10 people, one with a broken spine. And all of this is just in one summer. Within three months, the place was already in debt. They even tried to lure a familiar name, Roy Disney, into the venture as a way to make more money, but to no avail, I'm afraid. The park limped on through 1961, 62, 63, reducing prices, adding flashier attractions like a depiction of Jesus at the Last Supper, comprised entirely of wax, as well as a lot more generic rides like bumper cars and roller coasters, anything they could pull out to increase business. Then something happened in 1964 that pretty much sealed Freedomland's fate forever. Robert Moses and his World Fair of 1964 and 65 opened, just a burrow away in Flushing Meadows, Queens, Okay, Freedomland was by no means doing very well. It was definitely on its last legs. But now there was simply no more need for it with the world's fair close by. Why visit a representation of the United States when Robert Moses, of all people, had a much flashier version of the entire world? not to mention all these elaborate futuristic design buildings and exhibitions. And so just four years and three months later, on September 14th, 1964, Freedom Land declared bankruptcy and closed its doors forever. Most of the rides were dismantled and completely destroyed, although for a while a few could still be found in amusement parks throughout the United States, and you might be able to find some today, including the Tornado Ride, uh, which was adopted by a theme park up in Lake George, New York. This large plot of now unused land could have been divvied up to multiple developers. Instead, some of it was given over to a massive project which began construction in 1968. Something that would become known as Co-op City, a massive massive housing development, which is today managed by River Bay Corporation, featuring 35 buildings, over 15,000 separate apartments, and over 50,000 residents. It's a virtual city within a city. It's so big it has its own high school, it has three elementary schools, its own newspapers, and 15 houses of worship just for residents of Co-op City. In fact, if you took the entire complex and you picked it up and you moved it outside the borders of the Bronx just to have it be its own city, It would actually make the list of the top 15 cities in the entire state of New York. I don't know if you can see it from space, but it's usually quite distinctive if you're flying in and out of New York. You can probably find it if you look out the window, no problem. Interestingly, one of Co-op City's former residents, author Richard Price, wrote a book a few years ago called Freedom Land. I think there was a movie also with Samuel L. Jackson, which actually features a fictional amusement park called Freedom Town, which is based loosely on Freedom Land, USA. On our blog, BarryboysPodcast.com, I also have a couple very nostalgic websites that are exclusively devoted to Freedomland lore, detailing all the very different rides. I mean, this place really has a cult attraction that's really lived on in a lot of people's minds very fondly over the years. You can kind of decide for yourself, of course, whether this is just a big, dusty, old, antiquated piece of nostalgia, or seriously, like, the coolest, strangest amusement park you've ever heard about. So, thanks a lot for listening today. On top of those links, I'm going to have a lot of pictures of Freedom Land. for this place was very photogenic, and there's lots of color-saturated postcards and things out there of the place. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, Tom will be back in a couple weeks, and we have a nice, fabulous episode stewing in the works, so thanks a lot for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not.